Thomas, What's thank going you so on? much, bro. Oh, man. Just getting out of the pool. Happy to be here with you. What are you doing? No, just regular everyday work, you know? Do a little of this, a little of that, running around. How was Excellent. the pool? Oh, so wet. Just got, <laughs> just got physical with it. And, uh, you know, it's mainly a breathing exercise more than anything. Just Yeah, it, that's good. Yeah, real good. Focus gets you right because you're not distracted by anything. You're with yourself, no electronics. And I try to do like little, like four blocks of a thousand, so I'm not stopping too much and like getting distracted. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. You ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's right. go. Let me get my my notes straight. My jacket off. Uh oh! <laughs> there you we're, go. We're, we're about uh fifty fifty eight in the studio today, so okay, okay. Yeah, studio uh, looks good. I almost just came to your house. I thought, you know, what? I should just go over there. Dude, well, I, I was gonna do that with you, but like, I I got these little mics, okay, for for the the local uh, podcasting, but um, mm. they got they got in the ocean, so they got ruined, and I need to um, <laughs> they can't go to... in the ocean. Can't go in the ocean. I was getting that no. sound of the water. Salt water. That's a that'll, that's a doozy to your film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about electricity and you know about water, and yeah, uh, we're gonna actually works. go there with with that kind of concept. But um, let's start this off. Welcome to Speaking from Water, episode thirty six. I'm here with the legendary Thomas Blake. You yeah. might have you might have seen Thomas in movies um plays tv shows he produces he directs and he also is an artist of light and we want to get down with all these topics today so thomas thank you very much for joining us on speaking from water happy to be here sean thanks for having me bro it's so great to have you uh let's let's just start at the beach you were raised at the beach surfing in the ocean uh is part of your your dna from the beginning Lay it out for us. When was the first time you remember seeing and really loving uh, the ocean? Man, that was that was pretty early. You know, I've been um, my my family had a place on Wrightsville Beach for since the I think the fifties. So you know, I grew up right there on Lagoon Drive. Um, that's where my great grandmother's house was, and uh, you know, it started out. Um, God, what was the the surf shop that was over? Uh, man, it was totally eighties surf shop. It was over where like Harris Teeter is now. It was in there. I can't remember the name of it, but they uh, are we talking Burt's? No, 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 no. It was before Burt's. It was on the corner, um, you know, like close to Waterman's, in that shopping center. It was on the very corner. Uh, I used to go in there and I remember I took some surf lessons pretty early on. Um, and my cousin, he had this old eighties, like GNS board that I used to take out there from my grandmother's at Mercer's a lot. Um, and then, you know, probably about the sixth grade, I started hanging out with Matt Gilligan and Chris Curry and we were, and, and they really got me into it more. They were already ripping by then. So, um, yeah, I mean, then you know, once you once you get in it, it's kind of kind of makes you who you are for the rest. So I've always tried to work 
that love into the different things that I'm doing in, in some way or another, um, which, you know, I guess we'll get into that stuff later, but that's how I ended yeah. up in, down some of the past. I, I want to kind of reflect on Mercer's because you've spent so much time there. Uh, full disclosure, I, I have too. Uh, however, my time was with a concrete pier and I'm sure your time was a lot with a, the old wooden pier at Mercer's, okay. the, the classic. Uh, how, um, how was that classic pier as far as north side Johnny Mercer's as you remember it? Well, I don't know if it's the old, uh, you know, it's always, it seems like it was always better when you were younger. So I don't know. I remember high tide used to have really good shore break. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, a, it was a little bit of a different time, a lot less crowded. You didn't get really hassled by the lifeguards too much for surfing too close to the pier. Um, so that, that kind of stuff has changed, but the old wooden pier, I mean, I've got nothing but great memories of, of that place. Uh, you know, I met a lot of good friends there. My buddy Brooks lived right on Seagull Street. So we were we were out there every day. And that's where I met Mitch Akins. He was out there a lot. His parents had a house there. So um, Jake Miller, a lot of guys from around town that were out there all the time. And we were just groms. I mean, we were young then, but uh, a lot of good times, a lot of good memories, a lot of uh, agro fishermen. And uh, it was fun. It was it was fun. It seemed like there was waves. Maybe we were smaller, but it seemed like there was waves every day. We could surf all summer, um, or get out there on the bodyboard, do something out there. But we were out there pretty much every single day. So, can you recall you know, a, me a memorable story from from this location with the boys? Man, you know what I? The thing I remember the most is getting finished surfing and a uh, well, couple stories actually i remember we would always go take the take a little shower in brooks's water hose and i i can always like taste the drinking that water out of the water hose that rightsville beach water out of the water hose and that was always like a fond memory that I, after every session um and then i remember one time it got really big when i was young and me and Brooks went out there and it was probably bigger than I should have been out there in. And my mom came out there and it was like windy and just big. And I couldn't get back in. I was like scared to catch a wave. And I was like, Oh no, my mom was all freaking out on the pier, like trying to yell to me. And, um, I guess finally I got one and made it in, but, uh, I, I remember that. Uh, and I remember some of my first real, waves like real when i finally like were surfing going down the line you know that i remember that first wave that was at mercer's um and it was glassy we used to get up early a lot of beautiful sunrises out there in that wooden pier and uh yeah i remember that was where i call it the first real wave that i would consider where i was like oh yeah this is this is cool so a lot of good memories so what year are we talking now as far as your, your recollections here? Mm, I mean, I probably started in probably 93, 92, 93, when I was really starting to get out there in sixth grade. I Oh, no, that was even before then. So 
maybe yeah uh, maybe in the 90s i mean you know early 90s probably 91 92 that's when i was taking my my cousin's board out there and really starting to my dad was starting to push me in some i remember one story where my dad was pushing me in and he was you know he's like of course i couldn't i was falling all over the place and he he grabbed the board was like let me let me try one and he jumped on the wave and i still had the leash on and he was dragging me behind him i remember that that session um with my dad he wasn't a surfer at all so he wasn't he wasn't really doing much either but i do remember getting drugged behind him so your dad didn't surf so where where did this um this need and want to go surfing come from where, where how did you want to get into the culture and then follow up like how what was the Wrightsville Beach surfing culture like there in the early 90s you referenced uh Chris Curry and the Gilligans and we all who know Wrightsville Beach know surfing they they're like Chris Curry just rips it off the top and the Gilligans are known for their their airs back in the day um yeah kind of what what was your motivation um well you know my my family they were always on the sound side so they were big water skiers um so that was you know we were in the water all the time I think it was just, you know, probably like most people, you get out there and you start doing it and then it, you know, it's all you want to do. So um, as far as the motivation, but the scene was insane. You know, it was Ben, it was Matt, it was Chris, Mitch Baker, Mark Hunt. It was all these people. And, and back then, Philip Waters still lived here. Um, and, and he was here. And I mean, these kids were by the time that I really got into it, they were already like winning East Coast championships and they were so that was it was fun to have those guys around you all the time. Um, and uh, but there was a and, and there's still a ton of good surfers here. But, you know, back in the day, I think for being such a. Because the town was a lot smaller, too, you know, now I think it comes with the growth of the town. You get more kids and more people doing it. Um but for the amount of people that were actually surfing, there was a lot of good surfers here. Um, so it, it was a really, really fun time to come up and just to get to be around some of those guys and surf with them all the time. Uh, it was really inspirational. I, I, excuse me. I would even follow up and say that might have been a golden period because uh, I spent a lot of time at the beaches today. And back then when I first arrived in Wrightsville Beach, we're talking, you know, the late 90s. These guys were already young men. And I remember walking up on the beach and seeing Richard Gilligan 360 air like it was no problem and thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, like, who are these people? And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you have your your good surfers here today. But like there, there was like you, we just went down the list, the bourgeois, the everyone was just uh, blowing minds. So oh, yeah. your 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 love, though, for the arts. When did this come about? You know, I was. um in seventh grade, I had to take this like acting drama elective, and then I kind of just got into it then. And uh, and then I, as I got older, I started doing a lot of stuff downtown, a lot of shows at Thalian, and and the, and and then uh, I went to UNCW and took um, drama there. And at the time, they were teaching this technique that was um, in the the actual school was in New York. Um, old Ed Wagonseller, he was my, you know, Ed Wagonseller. Yeah, he's a he's a he's also a home seller, but he's a he's the drama teacher down there. And they were 
teaching this technique, which was Udahagen. I was, you know, one of the founding members of the the group theater, which was the kind of the new age of of acting. And so anyway, I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to go to her school. She was still living at the time. She was old, but she was still teaching. So I left UNCW and moved to New York and uh, and went to her conservatory, which was like no no math, no science, nothing. It was just um, acting stuff, all kinds of improv. And then there was like technique classes and voice classes and speech and all that stuff. So that's all you did all day long. Um, so that was kind of the progression of it. And then I was doing some shows in New York and I got involved with Point Break Live and then we took it to Los Angeles and then it kind of took off there and that that started that whole spiral. So um, that was kind of, you know, I, it was natural, but it was, you know, like with anything, you you look for the things that you the way you can like weave in your, the things that you love, like the surfing and the shows. And then that kind of got woven in together with, with point break. Um, and then like, even now, you know, we'll get into that, but now I'm doing like electrical and that's kind of woven into like my film world. So it all, it all kind of goes together, but uh, yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you know, just laid out like 20 years there of, of straight action I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to go to the, to that very point of Thomas Blake has the aha moment where he says, I, I am really wondering here about this art thing because you know, the electrical thing, let's, let's back up for a second. Your, your dad is a third, third generation. And now yeah. you're the fourth generation. Right. To, of, of, of the AB electric uh, world. Um, so I, I'm sure there was a point there in your upbringing where your dad thought, okay, Thomas is probably going to be the fourth. But when you said, I'm not, I, I'm going to go do this art, like, like how that's a, that's a large thing for a, for a young man to decide. So where was, where was that fire in your belly that you were, you said to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go out, out of this town. I've loved so much for so long. I'm going to New York city. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what what this is all about. Like, what's that fire? And then where? Uh, how did how did how did it ignite? How did it all go down? Um, you know, I think that with art, much like with surfing, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's like within, right? So, and you know, I didn't have any family members that were really artists or anything like that. Um, I think it was just one of those things that I, I think it was just kind of in, I think my grandfather, he was a radio host and maybe, I don't know if it's genetic, I'm not sure, but I, uh, I just had that, that drive that I, that that's what I wanted to do. And I really had that drive for since really the seventh grade, since I started, you know, I kind of always knew that was what I was going to do. And of course, you're right. My dad very much wanted me to take over the company, but um, you know, I I had to tell him like it's not, it's not happening. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know that it would ever happen. Well, yeah, totally. And um, how was that? How was that conversation for for the fathers and the sons listening? Um, you know what? They always think that it's a phase. 
I remember that. And so they say, yeah, go on, do. But whenever you get your wits about you, come on back and and we'll be waiting for you. And then that went on for, what, 20 years or something like that. So, I mean, I think that, you know, my my dad was always very proud that I was actually doing it. And the fact that I actually did it and I wasn't like living on the streets I'm sure that has something to do with it. If it, it could have, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate that, that that was my job. And that's what I did for all those years. Um, so, but it, 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 it was a little hard for him to swallow for sure, which I'm, I know it is for a lot of my friends that have gotten into it. They, they all kind of have the same story, you know, like Mitch, for instance, his dad was very much like, nah you're not this isn't gonna work they never think it's gonna work and then you have to do it but i do think that if you're gonna do it like with any art you gotta like really do it which is one of the reasons i left because i was having you know i love this town i was having a good time here i was surfing all the time and that you know then i went to australia and i was over there surfing and and it would have been very easy to come back here and to Wilmington and but I, I you know I was in Red Dogs too much I was I was surfing too much there was other things that I wanted to do so um so I think it was for me I had to really get away from everything because I tried it at UNCW here but it was just too close to everything you knew and your your dad and your family and people kind of doubting it that for me, I knew that I had to, I had to get out and and really go figure it out on my on my own. And I knew that to do that, I needed to to leave. So that was what it took for me. And not that you couldn't. Everyone with art, I think, has a different journey. So it's whatever. And, and then there's some people that, you know, it's just a hobby. Even that doesn't mean they're less of an artist. But some people are, you know, really want that security of other things so it depends on what you want um I, you know i took a leap and in some ways you suffer for it you're broke for a lot of my younger 20s you're broke and you're uh you know you're on this roller coaster ride you're up you're down you're booking parts you're not so i mean you go through it you're an artist you know it's feast it's famine it's it's a it's a and you gotta be uh really mentally strong to deal with it if not it's a slippery slope which is why you see a lot of people they can go go the opposite direction and and it can really be crucial to their mental health because you know it's a it's a it's a it's a wild ride so the the pantheon of artists in art history what you just described is one key factor to almost every single story that that a bi biography has been written and we're just talking about the famous successful ones so right. it's like it's 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 part part of the game no yeah and i mean you see you know you think all the time you see these people whether it's actors musicians whatever you know photographers it doesn't matter but you see them when they start succeeding and you're like, oh man, those guys, you know, they just, they just blew up. The majority of the time they didn't just blow up. They've been doing this for a long time and you just don't know any of the other stuff they've been doing because they're not famous yet. But it, it's, it's very rare that anyone's ride 
is smooth. It just doesn't even even when you're like considered successful, it's still it's still up and down. And if for me to to ride that wave of you gotta kind of always live in the middle. You can't get too high and you can't get too low because if you get too high, then the lows are really, really low. And and so for me, it was just I learned early because you know, there was a couple of times in the beginning where you would like book a show or and you'd say, everyone say, oh my God, you're going to be famous now, you know, and you would think in your mind, oh my God, maybe they're right. And you might not work for a year. So then that high comes really, really low. And so for me, I learned to just ride in the middle and just try to just take it all, you know, as a, as a more linear path, as opposed to a spiky, spiky road. Epic advice for all artists out there, man, really, truly. Before we get to LA, I want to hover on New York for a second because the two dichotomies are so different and you're leaving little old country Wrightsville Beach to the the Big Apple where if you if you make it there, you can make it anywhere, as they say. So what, what was that first experience getting there like? How long were you there before you decided that wasn't a place you wanted to be forever? And um, what, what was that experience being on the... the the east coast uh art capital right um well i moved there right after 9 11 so what was that 2001 i think or 2002 yep. sometime in there whenever 9 11 was um that I first semester the first... there that, that's when you that's when you went yeah well i went i went to uncw i think for maybe a year maybe a semester and then i moved to burley heads and went to school over there in australia on the gold coast for uh a semester and then i decided once i came back i was like you know what? wait hold up so you were at burley heads on the gold coast w was that an acting thing or is that mainly surfing no i was in school but it was a lot of surfing i was doing their like theater program at griffith the gold coast their what, what, what did you think of uh their style i should say of the, the acting style yeah in, in australia yeah because yeah, i'm sure like it's it, different it would... yeah and i'll tell you a funny story and this will tie back around to what I'm doing later, but they were, you know, at that point I was really into this Uta Hagen thing, which is like realist realism, you know, it was like trying to like connect with you, with your emotions and you're doing all that stuff. Um, and in Australia, or at least where I was taking classes, it was very much like this more, um, like showy form of theater. Like there was, there's like a Arto, which is, it, it it was um more like circus circusy some stuff like that there was a lot of like spitting blood and weird kind of interactive stuff like that and i hated it i thought it was so silly at the time and uh you know i kind of had some issues my drum teacher was like well you're not really and i'm like well this is silly you know like who's gonna spit blood on people and and you know grab the audience members and all that and then you know we'll get into what happened down the road but so it was it was interesting to see the way that came around because at the time I was like really into my realism and then their style was so much different um but you know I was also like maybe what 20 years old so um I I was really stubborn but I was surfing a lot too so I I don't know that I was in school as much but they they were fine with that they were like we know what you're doing here 
just show up on occasion and we'll give you your credits and send you back on your way. Um, so yeah, so that was my Australia experience, but it, it ended up kind of coming full circle, even though it was a very different experience at the time. It ended up kind of becoming my life, that style of theater and that style of stuff. So um now now was it was but, like like hold up though, because like did that then come around in your brain and you're like oh because i learned that that one time now i'm going to use this or did the did the just thing come from osmosis and it happened to be that you also had learned it in the past like what was that artistic train like no i don't think that i decided i wanted to use it i just think it kind of came back around i think as i as i grew and developed you know as a person and as an artist and all that um at that time, I was so into this one style that I was like, this is the only way. Um, and I think it just kind of came back full circle um, just from my own growth and journey and what was going on with, with the stuff that I was doing. Um, but I, I'm sure that it had something to do with it. Did I, because I always remembered it, you know, I remember having the conversation with the teacher a lot and saying, this is silly. I don't know why we're doing this. And him saying, well, you, you can't just be this type of artist. You need to like open your mind. And, you know, at the time I was like, well, whatever, not happening. Um, and, and just for context, for those listening, T Thomas uh, um, uh, founded, I you invented a play called Point Break Live. And then, and this is, 15 years later, essentially, am I right? 10 years later? Well, Point Break Live was probably about, uh, let's see, Point Break was started in 2006. So this was probably 2000, six, so five or six, six years, years later. later. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man, you did Point Break for a long time. So yeah. if, um, well, let, let's just go straight there since we're on the subject. Tell the audience what Point Break Live was and how it came about into your mind that you wanted to create this this show. Well, okay. So Point Break, I first of all, full disclosure, I didn't create Point Break. I was the director of it. Um, it was written as like a backyard thing. Um, there was another woman named Jamie Keeling who, who wrote it. Um, and it was just kind of like a one-off thing. And then I kind of got wrapped up in it through another friend. Um, and what happened with Point Break is, you know, I Point Break was one of my favorite movies. So I had seen this thing in New York. They were doing it. And so I I got I went down and got involved with it. And uh, so it started in New it York. Was, it started in New York. Yeah. And it was but it was more like a theater show. Right. So. I was in it to start with and. uh and then we got asked actually by Quicksilver to come to LA with it. And they had like a, they were going to do some kind of like, like event. Well, we got to LA and the event fell through. Um, well, and at that point I start I took it over as far as directing it goes and producing it. Um, the New York side of it was dead and, so we went to look for a venue in LA, a theater, because that's kind of how we were doing it. And we couldn't find one. So we ended up putting it in a bar. And then we threw it in the bar. And, you know, I didn't have a stage. I was direct. That was my first live show directing anything. And there was no stage. So I 
you know, kind of used what we had around us. I was like, you know what? We don't need the stage. We'll just just go out there and do it in the audience or you go over here. So that's kind of what, that was kind of my spin on it um, that I think sent it into a different realm because essentially it was the, the show, the, the movie. Um, and then we picked Keanu Reeves out of the audience, which was always the kicker. So the audience chose the Keanu Reeves character, Johnny Utah. And then, you know, the rest of it, was just to describe what it was it was kind of like a sketch version of point break and the whole idea was to to take a a huge budget movie and put it on stage for like a hundred dollars and that was kind of always the idea for all the shows that i did and then i went on to do Terminator, which that one I fully wrote from the get-go. Then I went on to do Top Tom Gun Live, which is a Top Gun spoof. Um, so that was kind of how we ended up in Los Angeles. When I left New York, I thought I was I thought I was going out there for like to LA for maybe a a month or something. We were gonna go out there, we were gonna open the show, and then we got to LA and everything fell apart. We didn't have a theater. We didn't have anything. So we literally, I walked around downtown Los Angeles and just walked into places and said, and at that point, downtown LA was like super, super sketchy. No one was going down there, but I kind of figured maybe they'll let me do it somewhere in here. And we found this, it was really a dance floor. And so we had a dance floor in the middle of this room that the they had chicken wire all over the ceiling because the the ceiling was literally falling out and uh and so they they were trying to revive downtown so they were like you know what we, we'll just kind of turn a blind eye to this violations of code that they've got going on in here because we want to get people down here so we opened it in that little dance floor and we didn't have anywhere for the audience to sit so i just put them around the dance floor like a boxing ring and uh and that's i think what really turned the thing on its head because it was like this like you were like in the middle of these people like a boxing fight and they were like yeah go! and it and it really made it and it was a total accident but it made the show into what it became which was like this really interactive thing because you didn't we didn't have a stage we didn't have anywhere else to do this stuff we only had a little bit of room so we just said i can't fit seven people on this little dance floor and jumping around go out in the audience and do it so that that's kind of how it all came about and it was kind of an accident it was i we didn't think it was gonna last very long and then we started having the celebrities showed up the Catherine bigelow who directed it she showed up like the second week and then Busey showed up and then all these people started showing up and then it just took off. And then I think we did it for 15 years almost. And we were doing it. So point break, we were doing, you know, we would do two shows in LA a week. And then we would do once a month in SF, two shows and big, like 400 seat venue every first Friday then we do two shows in San Diego at the um, at the Belly Up, and then in the middle of that, we were going. We would go to like Petaluma. Or we did Vegas for a little while. We came over here, 
we kind of started going all around. And then as that was happening, I wrote the second show. And so then we were doing Terminator. We were doing Point Break, Terminator 2 Judgment Play, Point Break. So we would do Friday, Terminator, Saturday, Point Break, and then go to SF and do two shows of Point Break on Friday. The two shows on, or we do one show. It was all over the place. We were doing lots of shows and we would pack everything for both shows. So we would literally do, we might do point break at eight and then do Terminator at 10, rip it all down, change all the costumes. And then, and so it was, a, uh, it was wild. It was a, it was a, a fun time for sure. So incredible the, the the backstory and I I had the personal honor of uh, viewing it in 2008. I uh, you know I'm also friends with Mitch. Everyone listening and Mitch Akins and uh, we he we went out to see him and uh, it it was wild. The interaction was something I'd never seen before. And was this a, a unique aspect to it, or had anyone had any? Um, any play like this? Cause you're coming from a rigid place. It sounds like in New York city where there's a stage and everyone's used to having it go only one way. And here it's, it's, it's going both ways. Was that novel? Yeah. At the time it was, it's not anymore. I mean, not to, you know, what we did with point break, what was so cool about it is like, we were, we didn't have anything. We were rehearsing in the garage of, you know, this someone that we knew, we didn't have any money. No one thought it was going to work. We were in like the most, the venue that we were, that we opened in, we were blowing up. We were selling out Friday, Saturday night, you know, 150 every weekend. And literally they called me one day and they said, the fire marshal came in, he shut the place down. A brick had fallen out of the ceiling while they were open and landed on the bar. So they shut it down. So that, you know, we had a lot of stuff going against us and we didn't really, we didn't know what we were doing either. I just really, you know, when I went out to LA, I knew Mitch. I, you know, I asked him at the time, he was like a, a film actor. And, you know, I'm like, look, I'm going to do this show and kind of explain it to him. He's like, nah, it sounds kind of silly. I'm like, well, just give it a shot. Try it. He didn't really want to do theater, but we didn't, you know, and we kind of cast. We ended up with a kid, Tobias, who played Bodie, who come to find out after we cast him was kind of a, a child star. He was in Hocus Pocus. He was like the evil guy in Hocus Pocus. We didn't know it at the time, but he he hadn't really been doing much in a while. And we just really lucked. It was one of those situations where you just luck out. You get the right people together. Somehow, miraculously, they all come together. And, you know, I, I'm not uh, naive enough to think that if it would have been one different person, it would have never worked. Like, we just happened to, sometimes you just, like, land on magic. And then it's, you know... And then through that, you obviously you got doors that open up um, because of the success of that. Then you can start branching out. But we just lucked out, really. I just got really lucky to find the right people at the right time and the right audience. I mean, that like like you said, that wasn't happening. And then after it started happening, all these shows started coming out like that, especially in L.A. 
because everyone was looking at going well these guys are like you know they're kind of like the misfits we were always like the like the misfits we weren't really you know we were i was like a surfer kid um and mitch was like a surfer kid we weren't really like theater kids we were more like just these kind of like punk rock theater guys just let's get in the garage and write something and see if we can like make it work and 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 come to find out there was a lot of people i always called it theater for people who didn't like theater you know so people wanted something fun to do but besides just go to the bar and drink of course now also keep in mind we were in our 20s then um so that was like the age group and the movie was at that age where it was like nostalgic to people in their 20s so there was a lot of people that wanted to drink a lot of people that wanted to party, but this was like a new spin on it. You could do that. You could have a good time, but you got to see this crazy show too. And we never, it was never pretentious. I think that was really helpful for what we were doing. It was like, we're all in on this for a couple hours. Let's just have a good time, not worry about anything else. And we're going to literally act like children. And that was like one of, always one of my main like notes. I'm like, play like a kid. That's what we're doing up here. This isn't rocket science. All we're trying to do is make people have a good time. And and that's that's how we're gonna go at this. And and if they like it, good. If they don't, you know, we'll do something else. But and then it just comes, you know, it turns out that there was a lot of people that that wanted to do that. So that that's how it worked. Um so that's it. That, that's really the the heart of the art of entertainment right there. Yeah. Uh, now you, you guys weren't huge on on the theater but you both had the theater background you both put your time in in high school and then in early college yeah. you know you both were were classically educated so um to to the kids out there who are who have these ambitions of of uh getting on uh tv and movie sets but they want to maybe skip that part what do you recommend because um uh, tell I guess speak to the the importance of uh, uh, the canon understanding the past and where you fall in the lineage of 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 the art that you're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, which is uh, I'll start by saying this. First of all, you know that was one of the things that I really loved about New York. So New York was like the place, and really more so as far as the the acting world goes back in the day like that was where you went to like cut your teeth like if you wanted to go and train and you would go to new york first and you would like kind of do the artwork there and then when you got ready you would go to la um and that was when i went to new york that was very much how it was um people you know it was more about doing the art and doing the creating and it was like no one ever said well how much are we gonna get paid like you knew you weren't getting paid anything for the most part not that you there was there is no money but it, it wasn't about that people were more about it into the art side of it whereas once i got to la it was very much more like okay we're gonna do this but we have to get paid for it and there's a fine line in the middle if you want to do it as a career you can't just always do it for the art because you got to live but you can't always do it for the money because you're not doing your art um so what i would say to anyone that's trying to get into it is 
I, I would always suggest some kind of training. Um, it's, it's very, and, and not everyone, I guess, needs it, but, you know, if it's something that you're, it's like anything, they say, you know, give yourself 10 years, whatever it is you want to do. It doesn't matter if it's business or art or whatever, give yourself 10 years. Then that after 10 years, you should start seeing some kind of career path, but it, it, that that's, that's your kind of timeline for it. Um, of doing the the work before them because no one really comes into anything just great it's very rare i mean some people you know but even you look at athletes whatever usually they're in about 10 years before they start becoming professional and that's that's what my teachers always told me in acting school you know this is going to be a long haul but stick with it stick to your training um you know and, and also with any art, you know, I think you got to be aware of how it's like reflecting in your real life, you know, and I think that's one of the big parts of all the training is like, you start to see it everywhere, as opposed to just like doing it, you know what I mean, your your goggles become different once it's in your mind. And that that's what you're doing. So I think it's very it, stay open minded and and pay attention to what the world is giving you um, as far as how you're going to weave that into your art. That's what I'd say. Famous Love quote. it. Yeah. Hard, hard, <laughs> hardcore information there. That, that's so, so solid. Uh, now, during those 15 years, you're you're super successful with the play and but you're also working on on movies you're 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 on tv shows which is a different medium but you're you're still acting so can you contrast those two places the the live stage where you're in front of the audience versus cameras and takes and right. tvs versus movies yeah it's a it's a totally different thing i mean it's almost like two different worlds um at the at the heart of it i guess it's the same um you're trying to be in the moment and connect with people. Um, you know, whether it be on the stage, you're connecting with the audience or if on the, on the camera, you're more trying to connect with the person you're, you know, you're in the scene with. Um, but they're, they're totally different things. And then you've got another third thing that you don't hear much about, but that's the audition. So you got an audition, which is a totally different thing than once you get the part. You know, the audition is literally a lot of them. It's either you're sitting in front of a bunch of people. You just got these eight pages of script here. And then you're going in front of all these people that you've never met. And you're trying to, like, look at it and not look at it. And if hopefully you remembered it, but you probably didn't. Um, or you're in, you're taping yourself just like this and you're someone standing behind the camera, it might be your mom, it might be who knows who it is. Um, and that, so that's a whole nother beast. So you've got kind of these different aspects where, you know, once you get, for me, once I got the part, it was always so much easier than the audition because then you're like, once you have it, you're like, this is, you know, it's mine. And all the sets here and the people are here and you're all dressed up and whatever it is that you're going to be. Um, 
and you like own it. So you, it's, it's, it was always easier for me once I got it to, to deal with it. Um, the hardest part is the hustle to get it because you're auditioning for maybe, you know, a hundred and you're getting one if you're, if you're lucky. Um, and that's just the way it is. Um, but the, but the theater and the, the film, it's, uh, obviously with the, the theater, what's great about the theater is like you, and I think you can build in theater so much more quickly because you're getting an instant reaction. So like, if you're, if you're lucky enough to have a long run on a theater show, you can very quickly start weaving it and figuring out what people are reacting to because it's happening on in the moment, you know, okay, this will make them laugh. This will make them clap. You know, this will make them get quiet, whatever. And you can see it in real time. Whereas on the film, you know, you're doing it. And by the time you actually see the film, you're not really, you're so far disconnected from what you were doing. It's hard to, um, it's kind of hard to use, use it to like, better yourself because you're not in you know what i'm saying you're not there anymore you're you might have done three other films since then and you know you don't you're not like talking to the cast members really anymore or anything so it's it's a little bit that's why i do love theater because it's real time it's like happening you can figure out what what's working what's not and then film is you know, film is film. It's a lot of takes. It's a lot of starting and stopping. And, and that, that's always the upside is, you know, if you mess up, let's do it again. Um, so they're, they're just a different thing. Out of those three, what gives you the most artistic stoke when a job is well completed or just out of your own canon of experiences? What, what do you look back on and you're like, that was a good. I think it had to be the theater because the the theater you know right then you know if it sucked or you know if it was good right then you know if you get to the end of the show and everyone jumps up and they're clapping then you did all right you know if you make a joke on stage and nobody does anything you might want to cut that joke it's not working um whereas like i said you know the film it, it's not like that because you're not seeing a reaction until you get into the movie theater and then you're so disconnected from it, from the actual moment that it's kind of hard to remember. So I would say the theater definitely is is where where you get that real, you know. Um, I mean, and don't get me wrong, you know, obviously in the in the film stuff, you get a lot more of like, hey, weren't you that guy and that thing? Whereas no one's going to see as much, not as many people are seeing theater. So, you know, that part's, you know, interesting. Um, but as far as actual artistic value, you know, that that's honestly one of the things that, like, I didn't like about it so much is you're, like, when I used to come home and people, like, from high school or something would be like, hey, I saw you in this. And you're kind of embarrassed because you're like, nah, I'm just a guy from high school. I'm not like I'm not I'm not any any cooler than I was before, you know. So I would always like in the grocery store be like, oh shoot, there's that person. They're gonna ask questions, and so um, you know, that's uh, I think that the the theater theater would be the one. In such a classical medium that just goes back, uh, you know, past Shakespeare to go to the oh, Greeks, yeah. and everyone's doing live performances. 
uh, in, in this time of digital media, uh, is there a place for for showing theater on on a screen, or is how, how do you think about that? What's the conflict? It's tricky, right? Because people used to always say, you know, or like we used to do a lot of private events, and people would say, "Well, just send me the send me a, you know the video of the show, so we can see if we want to book you or not." But to me, I always felt like it was actually a disservice, especially with my shows, because the whole point was they were interactive. So, you know, you go from this 3D thing that's happening in real time to this 2D flat version of an interactive show. So all you see is other people being interactive, interacted with in a flat version. And I always thought it was a disservice. So I was like, you know what? Here's a little promo I'll send you. I'm not sending you the whole show because you're never going to get it. And to be honest with you, I've, you know, if you watch it just as a whole on a flat, like one shot, you know, doesn't look that good because you're missing the point. So I think it's tricky with live theater, but that's the point of live theater is that you're there, you know, and no matter what, how you do it, some people want to, you know, dress up and go to the theater or whatever it is that you're into. It's like a event. It's not like a sit back and watch it. Oh, Mitch is texting me as we speak. Incredible. This Incredible. Guy. Dude, how, how serious. Is this thing going live? No, <laughs> yeah. it's not live. No, no, okay. no, no. Boy, I'll tell you though, bro. I, I texted Mitch. And again, guys, like Mitch is my close friend and Thomas's. And uh, uh, I know, I know you, Thomas, through Mitch. So I, I texted Mitch and I said, hey, I'm interviewing Thomas. Uh, give me a, give me a what's up. And I forwarded him our notes beforehand. And he's like, dude, great questions. Ask him though how he got to LA. But so you covered that already. Um, yeah, super cool. Yeah, Mitch. Uh, Mitch is an awesome artist unto himself. Uh, oh yeah. Back back to the uh, you know, you kind of struck me there on the interview thing because I think it's something that's so relatable to people, whether it's a job interview or uh, the the casting for a part. You've played both roles. You you've uh, picked people yeah. and you've been picked. Uh, and I'm sure you have a, your, your, a number of denials. So like for, for <laughs> way for, more denials. Yeah. Well, well, such is the, the life of the artist. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so like my question, I guess, is first from the person in, in, in power, the, the decider, um, do you, do you almost always know the person before they might even open their mouth? Like even how they're entering a room. Uh, a lot that, of times. That... Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes. You know what I've learned from casting, especially in my in my shows, and you know I've I've directed some films and stuff too, and um, a lot of times it's like the opposite of what you think you want. A lot because look, you know when you're directing things, you know even even after you cast it, you are you have this huge plate of crap that you got to take care of. You know you got all this stuff that you're trying to put together and then these people that are auditioning they're just working on this one part for you you know what i mean so they're actually putting a lot more effort and time into it than you have capacity to handle you can't think so detailed about each and every part so you kind of the way that i do it you kind of have this idea of what you're looking for and uh 
and then you just be very open-minded to and very um humbled to know that a lot of times someone else's idea is way better than yours and and you gotta you gotta just go with it you know what i mean but there's definitely some like i had this one guy that uh was auditioning for pappas and a crazy story my friend tom um we were holding the audition um and i had seen at this point we'd been doing the show for a while so i had seen a, a bunch of people um already and last minute one of my friends called and said this guy tom he's coming down he played uh Busey for Halloween or something. I don't know. He said, you got to see this guy. So like last minute, the guy shows up. He didn't really know what was going on. It was actually, I actually already had the audition. I was doing the callbacks and he's like, I can make it after work. And he like came in and he just walked in. He had a button up shirt on and he just ripped it open like that before he even like started talking. He just like came in and was like, I'm Tom. And then he just went and ripped it up. I was like, hey, I'm Gary Busey or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy's it. Like, I don't even need, I'd already actually like took some other kid out to dinner because I was like, we're going to cast that kid. He's great. But I will have one more callback just in case. And then this other kid came in, did that. I was like, oh, he's it. I had to tell the other kid that I had taken out to dinner. Like, sorry, we're going a different way. But so sometimes, you know, um, and and sometimes, you know, you're you're completely, it's completely different than what you thought um so so so, re so reverse it for us then then on on the flip side of uh you being the actor sitting down like do you go for roles that are kind of more in your dna or are, are you like a uh a, a tom hanks character you know they they talk about how some some actors can be they can morph into anything what's right. your philosophy on on that and do you kind of know what kind of actor you are when you get into this game yeah, it's no, I don't think you know what you are necessarily. Um, obviously, most young people when they get into it, which is, you know, honorable, and they should, they're like, I can do anything. Just give me any part, I'll do it. And they probably can. Now, having said that, you know, I definitely think that a lot of it kind of, you kind of start getting pigeonholed into yourself um, from the parts you're doing or like for me, I always play like bad guy, the drug addict, the cowboy, the it's always the same thing, which is totally different than, you know, my all the stuff I'm in. I'm like Don't forget mean. Union Soldier. You know, you play admirable <laughs> characters also. I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. But I I end up you end up a lot of times in this uh you know, you start, it's really what you're, you know, you get a role. So everyone, the way the whole thing works, just for anybody that wants to know, which is, but, you know, you end up when you go and you try to meet with these agents and stuff to get signed up so that they can send you out on auditions. The first thing they do is they ask you for a reel, which is like clips of different things you've been in. And then your real, as you book things and you get more jobs, your real is kind of your like business card, right? So the more you book in a certain vein, the more your agents are going to send you out for those certain things. And the more they're going to send out that reel that has those certain types of characters. Um, so for me, that kind of like got me down this road of, of, of these types of characters. Um, but I'd like to say I could 
for, I personally like to play things that are a little further away from me. It's just more easier. And that might be more from me coming from the theater world. Cause it's a little like bigger. Um, or some people, I wasn't ever really interested in play. Not that I wouldn't cause the money would be great, but you know, like a lot of like the lead characters in a TV show, right. They're kind of like, do, they do the same thing every episode, you know, they're kind of acting. And then it's those really fun characters that like, pop in the episodes that are like causing the mischief or like breaking the law or whatever. Those are always the fun ones. Those are always the, the you know, so, um, which I guess would be kind of like a character actor, like what you're talking about. Um, but I would rather do that than try to go in there and play me. I, for some reason, it's easier for me to do that. So what, what makes a great story? Um, you know what i i think that a great story is is connection um and i was actually listening to uh rick rubin he was talking about something how he was saying when you make when you create things and you create stories always create them for yourself don't worry about everyone else create them for yourself and what you're connecting with because in ultimately, much like what we did with Point Break, you know, we were doing this thing that was really just for ourselves, but come to find out all these other people have that same, um, want that same thing that you want. So if you try to create things for people, I feel like it's not as authentic and what people really want is authentic in any art, no matter what it is you're doing, for it to be authentically the artist and if you as soon as you try to fake it and i've done it before i tried to you know as soon as i tried to do anything for money it never worked and so i learned like you know what go back to basics don't do it for money do it because you want to do it or you want to do it you know i want to get my friends together and i want to make this show and just have a good time and if it doesn't work it doesn't matter but just do it um, and be authentic with it. So I think that's what makes a good story as well. Well said. Now, the, 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 dude, the story of of your of your trajectory here is uh, is incredible. So let's let's link it back up. The COVID nineteen hits. The theaters are shut down. What yeah. what what is your thought process? What, where are you mentally? Oh man! So I had just. Uh, at that point, we had been doing Tom Gunn Live for about about three years at that point. Um, point Break had shut down for a while. Um, and then we decided we were going to bring it back. And we opened in L.A. We just brought, I did all the press. We did all the advertising. I spent all the money that you have to spend to open a show. And it opened March 7th, 2020. We, we did one show March 7th. March like 12th, they shut the city down. So, you know, I had all these huge stacks of like LA weeklies with my ads in them and all these magazines. And I had spent all this money on the publicist. And all this splash was out there that we were back. We were coming back with Point Break. 
and I remember I like left LA because it was like empty and dark. And my girlfriend at the time was in um, Oregon. So I was like, you know, I'm going up there where the woods, I was worried that they were going to shut the whole city down. It was going to be like, you can't go anywhere. You can't get out of here. There were some talks of that. Um, but I remember like leaving and just seeing all those papers, like sitting out in front of the coffee shops with all my money, all, all of this money I'd saved in ads just flushed down the toilet and they don't give you your money back because of COVID. And I had them for like three weeks, you know, I was like, Four weeks, because usually when I would open a show, I would do like a big splash in the beginning. Ads everywhere, publicists, we had the PR, the reviews, all that stuff. And and so all that money was just gone. Um, and, and I always financed my own shows. I always like made enough money to finance it myself. Not that it was a huge financial burden, but because that was kind of the point, but it cost money. Um, so that happened. I went and then, you know, I had already been thinking a little bit about coming back. My dad had been asking me to come back for a while. He was getting ready to retire. And he's like, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen to the company if you don't come back. Um, and I just kept saying, well, you know, things are going pretty good out here. But there was some things that I was missing. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to settle down a little bit. Uh, it's always greener on the other side, right? So you, you want to, you know, have more security. And then as soon as you get it, you're like, God, I just want to be like in the wind again. So, but at that point I was kind of like, you know what? I, I was, I wanted to own a house. I never, I was never going to be able to own a house in LA. I felt like it was just, you know, too much, too expensive. And so there was some things in my life that I wanted to do that I didn't feel like I was going to be able to do. So I decided Now's the time. Let's go do it. So that was July. I got back here July 4th to Wilmington um, and 2020. And kind of, you know, did the same thing I did when I started the other thing. I just kind of didn't know what I was doing and just worked really hard and kind of figured out how I was going to make it work and tried to tie in, you know, the surfing and the theater and the film and figure out how I could somehow mesh that into an electrical company. Um, and, and come to find out, you know what, it's all very similar. So you're at the end of the day, we are providing a service, you know, that whether you're an artist or you're an electrician or you're whatever you're doing, you're providing a service and you want to make, you want to make people happy. You want to be fair. You want to treat people like you want to be treated. And and then other than that, you know, business, it's all the same. You're you're wrangling people, you're coming up with ideas, trying to create new ways to do, and then you're trying to like use what you who's that? It's okay. We got an answer in service. Don't, don't, don't show those people, whoever that is. Um but trying to use the things that you have to your advantage. And, and I was very lucky with, with coming back into this company because it is my great grandfather who started it. So not that it's been easy, but I had a good, a good um, platform, diving board 
as we would say as a swimmer to to get going and then it was just figuring out you know how to make it your own and how to to upgrade it you know it's it's such an old company that that i wanted to you know so i i did some new things with lighting we've been working on more lighting design stuff um obviously more internet stuff that was something that had been lacking but it, it's actually turned out to be fairly similar running the business just a different uh and you get to bring your dog to work so that's good um but yeah so it's been an interesting ride but it's been it's been it's been good and your uh, what strikes me so much about your transition into your in your new world is the the connection of you being an artist at your core. <clears throat> Excuse me. T tell me a little bit about how uh, you stepped into this role and you looked at how things were and how your mind then got creative and was like, "Hey, hold up! Uh, I know this about lighting just from my own experiences in." on right. the set on on the stage what what are some of these lighting uh factors that that you can bring to a room and uh is every room different how how do you engage a room i guess i should say right i mean i think um especially from the the theater perspective because you know we did uh, being the director i did you know was always in the light booth setting lights you know changing lights but then in the film world as well um there so when I came back after you know I was doing this as a kid and I think I left here um like in 2000 I, I'd been doing some electrical work with my dad throughout my life but um and I left in 2000 and and they were basically doing like four recess cans and a fan in every bedroom. And then I came back in 2020 and they were doing the exact same thing. I'm like, you guys are really doing the same thing you did when I left 20 years ago. We haven't done anything different, you know, and so. I started wanting to bring in more of, and you know this, you know, um, from your from photography, like more lighting as a mood, I guess you could say, instead of having like this really top heavy, like right now this is terrible lighting, um, but this really like hard direct light, like doing more um, like bounce light is what it would more or less be. But instead of shooting things, you know, they, the, the, instead of like lighting the thing like light the wall to light the thing so it's a little more even um which is you know we do in film all the time you know you there's very rarely any time in the film set that they're shining a light right on you it's usually bounced off something or going through some kind of diffuser or or something like that but so just bringing some of those techniques um into what we were doing um which has been a little bit tricky because you know that everyone's so used to this same old way of doing it that when i go into a house and i'm walking through with a homeowner and i'm like i mean you can do that but i would do it like this and they're like yeah but what happens if you know that's not enough light or whatever you know and you just have to go well i don't know let's let's give it a shot so there's a lot of 
there's a lot of that going on too you know it's it's just like any art though you got to kind of say well i mean we'll figure it out but and usually the end product is just so so much uh so unique and and uh different and they end up loving this stuff but even when you're trying to like pitch them on it you know in my mind i'm going i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure if it'll work but it, it seemed to have worked out so far so well, you know you know telling that story my mind goes right back to when you're pitching the play and you're only giving a snippet it's like you're telling the person you got to actually see it to understand it and that's, that's why right. this is that's why this is art here and so yeah. much of the uh, of the light you describe to a customer is is, is that it's a yeah it's and a, it's also new i mean you know i'm um not that it's new not like i'm coming up with some like groundbreaking version of lighting up your house but to these people it's new um and to me it's new but again it's kind of one of those like what do you how do you keep yourself relevant and how do you get to you know i am very lucky to have had those experience with this theater and the film and all that and how do you go about using that and not just letting that go to waste and with what you're doing every day you know and that's where i was talking about tying it in like how do you bring in the surfing into your theater world Point Break Live, you know, how do you bring in the film into your electrical world? What's well, lighting design? So they're all connected. Um, you just have to find the ways that you're, that you can bring your art into whatever you're doing or bring whatever you're doing into your art, either way you want to look at it. You know what I mean? So, um, and they're all tied in. And that's again, like kind of what I was talking about with being aware of of your of your life and how your life is influencing your art and how your art is influenced and trying to look at it on a broader scale um or a broader picture so because you start realizing it if you're paying attention that they're all connected and they can they can all be very useful to each other if you just if you let your mind know that it's there you know what i mean so that's what I've been doing. Well, you know, you you just did a a big academic process to sit in the seat you're sitting in. You you studied <laughs> the uh, the world of electricity down oh, to yeah. the core that the state gave you the license. So yeah. you're you're currently very familiar with the actual particles that make the light happen, yeah. and and it, it light is a as. Um, as we all know, is a physical thing that involves waves and it's in the environment, just like everything else around us, whether it be the sound waves, the waves that uh, the wind makes over the water that makes a wave in an ocean. Um, I guess, what is your your philosophy of, of, of light in its physical form? And uh, uh, does it have a consciousness of itself? Um, let's start there, I suppose. Oh, whoa, bro. Um, you know what? I don't, I mean, so here's the other question is, is it, is it dark or is it just no light? I don't know. You know, there's like, uh, well, there's like, like with heat, there's no such thing as cold. It's just less heat. 
you know um so i guess what came first the light or the or the dark well i'm i'm going to counter that with when you're dreaming where does the light come from <laughs> yeah I, I mean i guess it all comes from the sun until it's in your dream right um well and then i guess we're making light i mean you know electricity the whole thing is i can study that book till till you know the end of time but to really wrap your brain around it it's like wind it's like what is it it's like these crazy you have these crazy theories of it and i mean it is something obviously it's electrons flying down this wire and then they like have to like let off their energy so that they go through this light bulb and you know make a make a little arc and but i mean it's it's obviously a very important piece of our life is is light um what is it i don't know what is a black hole i'm not sure what that is either so um it's a very good question and i don't know if i can i don't know that the that the nec electrical code book is gonna is gonna explain that to me i'll have to look okay okay well let, let's keep going here i you know when i when i'm on the water and you're on the water and the light changes whether it be at the sunrise the sunset the middle of the day the light and what it does onto that water uh, has a different effect in the in the in the soul. And when you look at it, uh, I guess my first question to you is: When you you are on the water and the light's hitting it, what what top, what kind of light uh, do you like uh, to interact with that water to make you feel the best? Um, well, I mean, you know, the magic hour, as we like to call it in the film world, which is you know the sunrise sunset is always the uh always the prime prime time for me and and i think again it's because it's not which is what i'm trying to do similar in, in my in some of the stuff i'm doing it's not that direct light you know when you get that direct overhead light you get all these shadows you look sick you know you don't you don't glow right so i think that glow and i think that the feeling of the glow on you is uh it is is my favorite time because you're getting it from the front as opposed to straight overhead and usually it's glassier in, in those in those times too which is always nice usually that's when it's going to be glassy so uh, that's what I, when i seem to enjoy it the most well, we've we've been going strong here for a, a little over an hour, and I I want to I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. You you're very busy. You're the CEO, so thank you very much for <laughs> my phone's uh, ringing off the hook. Uh, yeah, dog. Uh, so like <laughs> like uh, I I want to kind of go um to the place of like the core of the artist back back to back to that place. How does the artist uh, continue to to make new art that's groundbreaking? and uh with with the world of of having to to sell it and then having it be critiqued um but still maintain the authenticity of the artist doing a new thing that's so groundbreaking um where what what where does that live in in the individual of the artist 
I think it I think it always I think it goes back to um authenticity authenticity um I think you as the artist you need to make what you love and what your where your soul is pulling you and if you do that and you're real with that I I, I truly do think that everything else will all those other things will fall into place um, because people can see that um, people can feel that. And really at the end of the day, that's what sells. Like anyone can sing us, you know, there's a lot of people that can hit notes and sing a song, right? A lot of people can do that, but why are some of them huge success? And usually that's because they are connecting with those notes in a real way that other people want to be a part of. They want to be, they want to feel that as opposed to hear it. So I think just stick to your, um, stick to your art and stick to your, um, to who you are as a person and let, let all the other stuff, um, you know, happen naturally, organically. So, so would you say maybe pay attention to the light in the, in the dream? Yeah, definitely pay attention to the light in the dream, even if you don't know where it came from. And that's the key. Even if you don't know where the light came from, because we don't know, pay attention to it. Because it, there's a reason why it's in your dream. And I guess it's the reason why in your dream, there is light. So you can see your dreams. So make sure you see your dreams and live yourself through them and uh be true to yourself and and everything else will be all right so fire now does do all uh conscious human beings have the ability to become artists yes okay yes they do i don't know and it doesn't even it might not be art that me and you think but they can Art is a lot of things, right? And it can be a lot of things. You can be a gardener, you can be a cook, you can be a, you know, you can be a, a organizer, someone that just likes to organize, whatever. Yeah, everyone has it in them and everyone's doing it all the time. They just don't know because it might not be considered like what we know as art. But yes, I do believe anyone can be an artist in their own way. But again, you know what? Pay attention to your what's going on around you and you'll find you can find that. And follow up, what makes it it art? What makes it art? Um your soul, your your inner being, and that's what makes art unique to you because it's it's you. And real art is just a a leg of of who you are as a person and who you are as a soul. So I think, I think that's, I think that's why anything can be art. If you, if you connect your soul to it. And, uh, the Duchamp made the urinal and, uh, that was the art. rest, the rest, oh, it, it's the, it's, it stands at the, the pillar of modern art. Well, like, uh, that's that, 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 that's well, why could we, be. I'll tell you a funny story. I was in, I was in, I was in um, Germany 
working on the Hunger Games. And we went to the, one of my friends that I went to school with in New York. He was uh, he was German. He lived in Berlin. And so we went there and we went to the Berlin Modern Art Museum or whatever. And so I have all these pictures, you know, it would be like uh, a thousand chairs like sitting up or, you know, just really, you know, modern art things. Well, then he started going up to like the fire hydrants and things like that. They were actually, and he was, I have all these pictures of him, like looking at the fire hydrant, you know, and it honestly, it looks like that, that might have been one of the pieces, you know, but it was just, the, so that, that kind of goes back to that, you know, anything is the guy that builds the fire hydrant artist can't deny it you know but but here he, <clears throat> let me let me bookend this the 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 fire hydrant guy builder needs to call it art he needs to sign it that's what duchamp did he signed it then he entered it sure. into he entered it into the art um uh festival there in france and uh they laughed at him but that was the that was the start he had to do those two things he had to call it art as the conscious being and right. uh he, he had to tell the world with his signature that that it, this is here art yes that that's true but or, or i don't know i mean do you have to call it art there's so many different versions of the fire hydrant that could have been built right i mean it's long it's it's got the hose on the end it's got the thing i mean it could have been you know more round maybe Bro, I don't know. I, I think you I think I think you as an artist have to one call yourself an artist to make the art Sign. and then and then say that thing over there that's art. I think those things have to happen for have it. To happen. it, it they have because the because if they don't happen, then it's like a utility. It's uh it's it's a thing that's there. You know, all all wheels can't be art unless there's some kind of um thing that make it art. Unless you're a Bernie man and then you decorate them. Well, there you go. The, yeah. And then there are. Bingo. Art. Bingo. Good point. A good point. Yeah. Um, um, well, I'll make sure that well, he, whenever I go into a house and I and I design these lights, that they I'll ask them if they'll let me sign their wall. Bro, bro mark. Uh, or at least just say, hey, this is a Thomas Blake edition here. And yeah. Tom, this and, is good. And, this is it. Like you're known for this and thing. Then like, you have to follow it up by, and that's going to cost you. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> big time. Big time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are, are you familiar with the light artist, uh, James Torrell? I don't think so. Well, I'll no. tell you, bro, like in, in preparation. Check it this, out. Yeah. Like, like he's one of America's, uh, uh, he has a medal of freedom from Obama. He's like 80 now, but yeah, dude, you got to check him out. He's right up your alley, bro. Like in preparation for this interview, I, I listened to a lot of his um, interviews, you know, Charlie Rose, like 10 years ago, like yeah. deep, deep stuff that is right up your alley. So um, shouts out James Terrell. And, um, you know, we're going to we're going to wrap this thing up right now. And I'm going to ask you a final question. Um, okay. what, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is uh man that's a good one i think the meaning of life is 
stoked. Stay stoked. Stay happy. Try to try to make others around you happy and try to do things that you love and that bring you joy. And I think that's it. And bring others joy, you know, spread the love. Spread the love between you and, and everyone else. That's it. Well, T Thomas, thank you very much for spending the time. Uh, this has been a very deep and insightful conversation. Uh, speaking with someone that is on such a high creative level um, has, has been great for me. And I'm sure it's been it's going to be great for anyone out there listening. Uh, if you found this conversation insightful and and uh, groundbreaking to your own soul, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. Smash it. Just, just smash it up. <laughs> this has been Speaking From Water, episode 36. I am your host, Sean Rutke. And with that, I bid you farewell. Thank you very much. Thomas, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We did it. Bro. Oops.